The first New Testament reading this morning is from Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29, and that can be found on page 996 of your pew Bible. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. The second New Testament reading is Matthew 14, 13 through 20. It can be found on pages 980 through 981. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Da, 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 da. There it is. Um, okay, uh, that's weird that I sang. You want to know what happens to me when I try and do karaoke? My vocal cords seize up and I cannot make noise. <laughs> so this might be a new day for me. Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, so you, we just listened to the feeding of the 5,000, which I will never refer to as the feeding of the 5,000 again because... That doesn't count women and children, which is annoying. Uh, the feeding of the multitudes. Um, and I just had never noticed before, uh, before this week, Jesus' grief in that passage, probably because I'd always read it out of context. Um, the feeding of the multitudes comes directly after Jesus hears that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. Jesus heads off to spend some time by himself. He gets in a boat and he pushes offshore alone. 
And I wonder about Jesus in that boat. You know, I bet he thought about John. Their mothers were pregnant at the same time. Their fates tied together by the announcements of angels. And they were also just cousins who grew up together. I bet he grieved his cousin John. But I wonder, too, if Jesus grieved a world that could even imagine something as horrific as someone's head served on a platter at a birthday party. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the one through whom the whole world has been created and is the one through whom it is still held together. But look at what his world has become. And this is just one incident among so many. Jesus' cousin, his forerunner in ministry, beheaded, degraded. For what? Like, for the sake of Herod's reputation, really. Herod's power is what we typically think of when we think of power, right? The power to do whatever you want, to have whatever you want, to have someone killed if you want. But even as we see his power on display in the few verses just before the passage we read, we also see how fragile it is, how it's not really powerful at all. In all his power, Herod had John the Baptist arrested, the camel hair wearing, locust and honey eating prophet, because John said that Herod shouldn't marry his brother's wife. Herod is so powerful that he's threatened by a wandering preacher. But then, despite the arrest, Herod was afraid to kill John because the people all liked him. And then Herod had to kill John because all his party guests were there when Herodias' daughter asked for John to be beheaded. Herod's reputation is always at stake and he is always cowing to the threat. And he has to do that because his power is an illusion. It is dependent on everyone around him believing the lie that he should be in charge. In talking about this, Stanley Harawas said, the powerful, and he's talking about Herod and also other powerful people in this world, he says, the powerful lack the power to be powerful, which means that they live lives of destructive desperation. And that often results in others paying the price for their insecurity. Their power isn't real, and so they have to maintain it with blood. I wonder if Jesus was grieving both his cousin John and the state of his good creation. But he doesn't get to grieve for long. Um, the crowds follow his boat along the shore, and when Jesus sees them, he has compassion on them, and he goes to them. They are part of the same sick world, victims and perpetrators both. And I know that because aren't we all both victims and perpetrators? Suffering unjust systems, suffering the sin of others against us, suffering pain and sickness, and also hurting and harming one another. Not quite able to do the good that we want to do. Jesus has compassion on them. And he gets out of the boat and he heals their sick. He steps into their brokenness with a power totally unlike Herod's. It is a power that brought it is the power that brought this whole place into being. It is the power of compassion and love. 
It's the power of God. And it doesn't need to be proved. And instead of bringing death, it brings life. Instead of needing to manipulate and control, it gives freely. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about Herod's death-dealing feast when he told his disciples that the people didn't have to go somewhere else to eat, that they could eat right there. Maybe he wanted another kind of feast, one that belonged to a wor the world that was created through him, not to Herod's world of sin and death. And look at the simplicity of Jesus' feast. Just whoever was there, sitting in the grass, with whatever was offered, a simple dinner prayer, and everyone eats. We don't even get told when the miracle happens. Is it in Jesus' hands that the bread is multiplied, or in the disciples' hands, or in the people's mouths? We don't know. There's no evaluation of the guests, whether you're good enough to be there, as surely there would have been to get into Herod's court. No evaluation of whether your life is well enough in order, whether you're successful enough, not even a kind of moral test. All you had to do was be with Jesus and be hungry. And Jesus makes whatever is offered to him, though paltry and insufficient, he makes it more than enough. Five loaves and two fishes, enough for the seas of people with 12 baskets of leftovers. I wonder who they gave those leftovers to. God's generosity overflowing. A curious thing about this story is the moment that Jesus gets the bread. Listen to what happens and see if it reminds you of something else. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples. Does it remind you of something? For those of you who haven't got it, I'll give you a hint. Matthew 26, 26, which we read this morning also. Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. You notice the pattern in both texts. In both, the bread is taken into the hands of Jesus, blessed, broken, and given. Now, writers can choose whatever words they want. They can choose whatever part of the story they want to include. I think Matthew meant for us to make this connection. Actually, also happens in Mark and Luke in this story. The generosity and miracle of the feast in the grass is connected to the generosity and miracle of the feast at the table. Jesus' broken heart becomes a miraculous feast for the crowds and his broken body a feast for all of us both overflowing with generosity, both made more than they were before in the hands of Jesus. We receive the body of Christ at the table, and we become the body of Christ, and Jesus works to make our lives that same kind of offering. Henry Nouwen has a book called The Life of the Beloved, where he argues that that pattern, taken, blessed, broken, given, that's actually the table of contents of the book, he argues that that pattern is the pattern of the life of Jesus and is the pattern of, every, of the life of every Jesus follower. Jesus was chosen by God, blessed at his baptism, broken in a life of sorrows, and finally on the cross. 
and then in death and resurrection given to the world. We too can know ourselves chosen by God, blessed as God's beloved children, and all of us, of course, are broken. Broken by a world of Herods, broken by our own desires to be like Herod. And yet, we too are still given to the world. Here's something beautiful. In the hands of God, that brokenness that we all know too well is not a hindrance. God makes that very brokenness into a gift. And we all know that the care of someone, that someone's care is better if they have known the grief that we are suffering. You know, this week is the feast of Oscar Romero, so there was like all sorts of quotes about him on my Facebook feed. Um, Oscar is named, our son Oscar is named after Oscar Romero. Um, so I pay special attention. Anyway, he said, there are many things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. Everything that we give to Jesus, no matter how paltry, no matter how insignificant, he makes it more than enough. There's just something about being broken, knowing both our brokenness and the grace of God that makes us more able to love. And so we are given, even in our brokenness, maybe especially because of our brokenness and the way that God makes that brokenness holy. Tony and I have uh, had a friend named Don. He's now joined the great cloud of witnesses. Some of you have heard us talk about him before. Um, he mentored Tony and had a huge influence on him. Tony said he'd never met anyone as compassionate and gracious as Don. No matter what he said or did, Tony never felt judged, just loved. When Tony asked Don why he was so gracious, Don said, that he knew his own sin and he knew the grace of God, and so he knew how to extend grace to others. Don had given the ugliest things in his life to Jesus, and Jesus had turned them around and made them into healing for Tony and for so many other young men who are friends with Don. Even our sin, even the ugliest parts about us, given to Jesus, can become something beautiful. Jesus will make it more than enough. And not just for you, but for the world around you, with leftovers. It is all, all of it gathered up into God's redemption. God is making all things new. Let's pray together. Lord God, we offer to you our lives. All of it. Our joys, our delights, our sorrows, our suffering. Even our inability to do what we want to do. Even the ways that we turn against you. We ask for your forgiveness and we offer you 
our own brokenness. Lord, may you take it all up. May you make all things new and use us. Make us a gift to your world. In Jesus' name, amen.